0: Welcome back, my friends, to The Sweet Spot, where IT leaders share the insight with other leaders and others want to lead. My name is Carlos Vargas, and I in every week. I have my two co-hosts, Howard Holton and Paul Lewis. So guys, hey another week, another beer, another cup of coffee. How's what's, what's, ha, been your week? Wait, another cup of oh. bourbon? Like an ounce of bourbon? was it last week? <laughs> An ounce of bourbon a week? That's not enough. Yeah. Uh, no,
1: no, no. Bourbon is literally the thing keeping this COVID shit show moving forward. So <laughs> now it's ain't gonna do that. That it doesn't even that doesn't grease the smallest of wheels. Um. Anyhow, someone on the call announced a new job this week. Congratulations,
2: Carlos. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> Me? Oh wow. <laughs> Yes, I uh, started my new role as the Chief Technology Officer of Pythian, and it's been a whirlwind experience, a tidal wave of content. I was able to, you know, meet and greet the senior executives, and I actually was on my very first um, uh, town hall. Like, it was a fireside chat, they call fireside chat, for the entire organization within the first two days. It was awesome. I virtually met all the hundreds of people. It was good, I enjoyed it. And now it's learning what we do, what are our offerings and what are the technologies and more importantly, who are the people and what did they do? It's been an experience. I, I got to think it'll take me more than a week to get through that process. I mean, one would hope, right? <laughs> right. So At least to build a relationship.
1: Right, but we were talking about, about kind of some interesting um, re- or intriguing replies on LinkedIn when you made the announcement right um, and you kind of had two two different replies and it was an interesting kind of sort of an interesting conversation that we thought our viewers might want to listen to and and might make it complicated for carlos to figure out how to transition
2: over to our main topic this week <laughs> our, our new job is to make make that difficult it really uh, is so yeah so i sent out an announcement had a lot of you know positive feedback on the world wide web mostly linkedin uh but 90% of the responses were uh congratulations of Paul, right? Good job, uh glad to see uh you're moving on your career, so on and so forth. 10% were actually congratulating the company. Very, very few. In fact, I could think of them in, in a small handful, actually said both. And I actually reached out. Uh, to the ones who congratulated the company I said, that's interesting that you chose that path. I wonder why you chose that. Uh, And their response in general, at least uh, what their perspective was, was, I already know you. I already think you're gonna be successful. I was congratulating the company that's now going to take your experience and apply that to their business, which I thought was an interesting take on an announcement. But uh, how do you generally respond to those? Um. So I generally respond
1: with, so So I have a lot of connections on LinkedIn, as do mm-hmm. you, um, and I don't know all of them well personally. So if I don't know them well personally, then the default, like LinkedIn will automatically fill in congratulations, insert name, first name here, exclamation True. So yeah. by default, that's the one that I choose. Uh, sometimes I choose one of the other options that LinkedIn gives me for free. Um, but if I know the person, I'll tend to write a note, but it's always a note to the person. Um, it's not really occurred to me to write it about the company unless the company does a release. Like um, mm. there've been a few times where companies have, have said, hey, this person, this friend of mine is joining our company. And then I'll write something about like, like at that point, I'm actually, they'll engage me and I'll write something about the person. Right, right. And, it, and that tends to be three or four sentences um, about the person. Um, unless I, unless I don't like the person in which case, um, it, 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 it's, I'm just kidding. I've never written anything about someone I don't like on LinkedIn, um, but it's never, it's never actually occurred to me to write congratulations to the company. Um, cause it, it, it may not be congratulations to the company, right? It may be, it may be a loss for the world that they went to that company. Like, Oh, I, you know, I thought, I thought they would do. Go, go on to bigger and better things. Right. Um, in this case, I think it's a, I think it's a like you and I talked about it a lot before you roll, right? I think it's a great fit. I think Pythian is obviously better off to have you. Um, but, but what it brings up to me is kind of that initial communication, right? What does that look like? What should that look like? And is there a a way to, to like advertise in such a way that it kind of informs, um, that it helps others that, you know and that it kind of generates the, the the kind of traffic that you want and one of the things that i don't see very often is i don't see companies making the announcement mm, that's it's true. really a shame like if you're going to pay someone a couple hundred thousand dollars a year or more make an announcement that should be a get shouldn't right it, it shouldn't you be proud of that as a company and and maybe have hr go on and like they're going to post a job opening when you leave the job opening will be posted in an hour Right. Shouldn't they take 10 minutes and go, hey, we're happy to welcome so-and-so to our team and we're really proud to have them here. And,
2: right, like- Especially how long it takes, right? That might've been a six month exercise and, you know, tremendous expense of time and energy and people and interviewing like that arguably is a feat. to actually hire somebody.
1: It is. And and you'd think with all the automated HR systems that we have that are in use in, in all these companies, one of those hr systems would have an integration with linkedin button that right. would not only allow you to do the job posting on linkedin which they all do but also when the job is closed do an announcement on linkedin too right right and and i wonder i wonder if the hr the hr management systems just simply don't think about that don't care about that and don't do
2: that in which case it would be it seems weird right it seems seems we've wonderful. had several of these pods where we think interviewing should change hiring should change yeah. Uh, letting people go should change. That probably chalks up one to that. Uh, more human. You, so, I so I have a leadership. i right. a leadership page, Apithian, and under the Paul Lewis page has a description. Did anybody catch the statement of that, of of that leadership
1: page? Uh, no, I didn't even. I didn't even see it. So I'm I'm going to open it right now while we're while we're doing this.
2: Right. Go to about. I put a, a hidden secret it code is.
1: leadership let's see what i get oh i recognize
2: that picture <laughs> that's right it's a consistent picture <laughs> that's not the secret code it's just the last line
1: <laughs> <laughs> I like it.
2: Any, any official document on the World Wide Web must include references to Disney. So yes, that's yes, my new right. philosophy. Paul is a Disney fanatic. Now, for those of us who, who,
1: who really know Disney and Disney people, they're called Disney dorks, mm. not Disney fanatics. They're called. <laughs> it is the most accurate alliteration in the English language. Disney Dorks. <laughs> not only, not only do you like to go to the park, right, right, but when when we are relatively early on in our relationship, you pointed out to me that one of your hobbies is not just to go to the park, but to help other people tra- plan vacations to the parks. That's
2: correct. Yeah. And 019 so, got me a variety of good places that I won't be able to go to for the next few years. So it's yeah, because you did all the parks in nineteen. So, yep. Yeah. Sorry, Carlos. Was it 19? 19, yeah. But was it 19 20? that you did? 19, I did them
0: all. Yeah, because 20 was kind of closed off. I thought that you finished them by when we were going to India. When we came back, you were going to go, I thought, to one I was of the other in 19. Parks. I was in 19. No, we went to India in February 2020. Oh, did we? Oh, no, I had finished them by then. <laughs> Those long finished those.
2: <laughs> he, may have, he may have been planning so, other parks. It's not like he's once and done. <laughs> that's right. like, let's yeah. have been second and threesies maybe. And what's so, your favorite? So thinking park, about park, that, by far, well, it's hard to say which park, but I can say the best ride by far is Pirates of the Caribbean in Shanghai. Now that's an experience it's a combination of Pirates of the Caribbean, the traditional one you've normally seen, plus uh, uh, like a massive screen uh, and you're sort of in a 5D version and you can smell the ocean and you can hear the seagulls. It's almost like Soren and Pirates right. of the Caribbean combined. Oh, that's kind of awesome. I like both those rides. It's pretty awesome. And, and because uh, most of the sort of the Asia properties, uh, people go in as groups, right? You'll find groups of, um, you know, six to 10 kids coming from school, going into a ride. All of the single rider lines are empty, completely empty at all times. So you might see 60, 70, 80 minute ride lines, uh, ride times, but you can go in the single rider and walk right on every time, because nobody rides single. Yeah. So that's what I did last time the family went to the to California Adventure. Yeah.
1: We didn't have we didn't have a ton of time, right? We had like park hopper or something. Um, we yeah. didn't have a ton of time, and um, we just went every single ride to the single rider. And just they just broke up the family. It was fine. We didn't have kids, right? The the youngest was like fifteen, so it was not a problem. It was easy.
0: It was great. Mm-hmm. Carlos, what's our Goodbye. topic for today? So thinking about these changes that you were mentioning, people giving you feedback about the new role. We all know that as technology leaders, we have to make decisions. Sometimes some are good. Sometimes some need to improve a little bit. But what about if you still do everything the right way? Can a leader still have a problem? Can they still fail at their job? They do everything right? That's an excellent question.
2: I have some thoughts. Howard, I'm sure you have some thoughts. Why don't you start? no no no. why don't you start
1: it was your it was your your question your philosophical question so i'd like to like you to start
2: so lots of thoughts so let's start in the premise so the premise is uh if you do everything right could you possibly fail uh so the real underlying question is is can you do everything right is it possible as a cio or cto or vp of application a c a chief information officer sorry chief data officer is it possible that every decision that comes to your desk, you will in fact pick the right one? I honestly don't believe decisions are binary choices. It's not on and off, one or zero. It is a spectrum of potential answers, and, and your goal, your your goal, your hope uh, that you, what you stress about, is that more of those decisions you make are positive, positively affecting the company, than the ones that you make are negatively affecting the company. It might not be 51%, it might be 60, 70, 80%, but hopefully more often than not, you're making better decisions. You should not be going into your role, especially as an executive leader, presuming that all decisions will be positive, all decisions will lead to a positive impact um, and that you won't make a poor decision. Poor decisions are derived from not having enough information, from either making decisions too quickly or too uh, too far in advance or too late. Um, and the reality is you might not even in fact know the impact or outcome of your decision for years after you've made that decision. So, so let, let's start with the first part of the statement. Can you make as a technology leader, all the right decisions? No, no. And, and I actually don't think that should be the goal.
1: If I'm being honest, right, like, like, uh, I, sure, I'm sorry, that shouldn't be the expectation. Right. I think perfection as a goal is fine. As long as you go into an understanding, it's a goal you will never reach. Right. Right. If I fill a bucket halfway full every time I fill the bucket, no matter how long I fill that bucket, I'm never going to completely fill the bucket. There's always going to be some, some space that I get halfway to on the next fill. And that's kind of the best you're ever going to be able to do, right? The best we can evolve is something better than I was yesterday, but not quite reaching perfection. And 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 that's a hundred percent true, right? So so no, there's no way you're going to reach perfection. And that and that's even assuming it was all it was all binary, even assuming it was it was all yes and no's, right? True, false. You're still never going to reach perfection. Never going to hit hundred percent. And anyone. Who listens to this and goes oh i've i've absolutely hit 100 percent. that's a bit of hubris bud and
2: you probably need to reflect on that a little bit more more <laughs> that's right i'm not even sure you could grade them like would you say your outcomes are a plus a b plus b i'm not sure that's even reasonable because you really can't compare against the decisions you don't make right or that different decision on the spectrum you may have you made have made a great decision and it earned 10 10% more to the top line of the business, but some other decision could have been 15, some other decision could have been negative right? seven. And you'll never know because you can't compare contrast, right? You can't champion challenger those kind of ID decisions. Yeah, I mean, at the same time, I think
1: I think that's I think that's looking at it incorrectly. Okay. Because again, now you're looking for did did every decision that I do provide the maximum possible benefit? Right. That's what's required to get an A. The truth is, what's required to get an A is did my decisions move the business forward and not negatively affect the business in any possible way? That's a good A. Okay. Right. Okay. I had a I had a a little bit of downtime. Okay. Maybe that's a B. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. um, I don't think I, I think it's unfair to grade yourself on did I choose the the absolute that I make the absolute best decision of the possible decisions every single time, not knowing what all the inputs were, right? Because that's kind of part of the problem. Is right. Um, okay, so you decide in uh, twenty in mid twenty nineteen, you you complete your um, um, your uh, mobility project. So you decided in twenty seventeen, you're going to invest four million dollars and every single one of the employees is going to be able to work from everywhere. You can take any station and move it to anywhere. You can work from a Starbucks. You just get sick and tired of dealing with this stuff. And you've invested a ton of money and it's an awful, awful, awful decision because 5% of your workforce is all that ever uses it. Right. 2019 ends, you're on the ropes. That was a terrible decision. You wasted $4 million for 5% of people to move. March hits 2020 and you're now the biggest rock star that's ever been hit. Um, when US Weekly is interviewing your CEO, they're like, no, we, we saw the challenges coming and we did this big work, this big mobility project. And so forth. Right. everybody just unplugged the laptop we invested in and took it home. It was easy. We'd already, this was, this was table stakes. This is uh, nothing, <laughs> right? You Every went, good leader like, should have had that thought. To an A triple plus based on nothing different that you did, nothing different in the decision. And until March of 2020, you were drinking
2: your bourbon at the end of the day going,
1: man, I wish I would have made a different decision.
2: (laughs) Right. Are there are there buckets of decisions technology leaders make that are more or less impactful, like people decisions versus technology decisions versus strategy decisions versus project decisions versus uh you know executive decisions what are the are the buckets that matter more that you should be i think those are two on getting right more often than not I, I
1: mean yeah yeah i think the way you started that question had me wondering right because you said impactful but yeah. then mat- more that matter that you get right So let's be really clear because those are two very different questions. I'll I'll stick to the second half of that. Yeah, so the ones that matter the most are getting the people ones right. Mm. The people questions affect the lives of the people you're making the decisions about and therefore are the most important in a way that nothing else comes close. Right. Right. Right? Follow that with, the things that affect the bottom line of the company in a positive way, and then everything else is is trails behind that one, right? Because because ultimately, if you make a decision where you've affected the company health, then we're now in a situation where layoffs may have to occur. Mm-hmm. You've you violated principle number one. Don't fuck with the people. Right.
2: Right. Do right by your people should be principle number one. I, I agree by far. Uh, and and the simplest example to that is that there are 100,000 decisions to be made i'm only going to make a thousand of them which means i have to ensure that a team is created leadership structures created people that are trustworthy and have the appropriate experience to make the other you know 990,000 decisions that have to be made but that, that is important and therefore your people are more important than the actual technologies to which get chosen, presuming that you're not even involved in most of the technology choices anyway. You might be involved in the, the spend to which might acquire technology, but, but not everything that gets bought is something that runs by your desk. But if you put the right people in the right place and pay
1: them well, Right? and do what you can to retain them, they're going to take those thousand decisions you've made correctly and amplify that to the million decisions that can be made And if you do that properly and you ensure that they're aware that you're doing that purposefully, right? they're not simply lucky enough to still have a job tomorrow, but rather they're the right person for that job and they've been imbued with the authority to execute the job, then they're also likely to go, hey, that actually sounds like something that matters to me. Um, so I'm going to make sure my people know that too. And they're going to make sure their people know that. And they're going to make sure their people know that. That's the best thing you can do for the culture.
2: So how about the um, ability to change your mind on a decision? So I've uh, one of my failures that people have identified to me is that I make decisions too quickly sometimes with not, with not all the... Relative information. That it's more important to me to make the decision and change the waypoint, and uh, knowing that if we had to, we could come back. Uh, but it's also important to me that once a decision is made, that I'm still open to making a different decision. Right? It's not permanent. Whatever decision has been made isn't the last statement ever to be made. It's just the current statement of direction to move forward. Does Does that? What do you think about that? So, so, I
1: think your mind should never be so open that everything falls out, nor should it be so closed that a new idea can't make its way in, right? And that means we have to always, like every decision I've ever made, I reflect on and go, did I make the right one knowing what I knew then? Did I make the right one knowing what I know now, right? And how do I make ensure that those two things are actually more of the same rather than more different? Right. How do I ensure that I that I reflect poorly on decisions
0: that I made a year, two years, five years after the fact? So it's interesting to hear you guys talking about that. We have worked together, so I know how we have dealt with that. But I just I was thinking, how should a leader communicate this to their down level? So as a CIO you understand that there may be decisions that you make that may be good, may not. How do you empower then your folks so they don't just get paralysis of analysis that they don't make no decision because they don't want to make the wrong one? Oh, I think there's two ways to do that, that I like. The first is, guys, I'm not looking
1: for the, I'm not looking for the absolute right decision. I'm looking for the right now decision. Based on everything we know today, what is your best possible, what is like, what's the best decision that we can do, right? What's your best advice? Because you're not magic, You don't have a magic eight ball, right, I don't expect perfection, mistakes are okay. Two, after every decision, right, and we execute, we look back on it and go, did we make the right decision? And it starts with me. Right? It starts with me going, hey, um, okay guys, so so we did this thing. This was the decision that I made. I feel it was the wrong decision or it could have been a better decision. This is the mistake I made. I made this assumption, right? I took advice from someone who shouldn't have been trusted. I you know, read an article, did some research. My research was interesting. find your mistake first so that it becomes a habit that it's okay to say, I made a mistake and then ask everyone else to do the same and there can
2: be no consequences. Right. I'm a fan of kudos flowing down and blame flowing up, right? I'd rather the highest person in the room receive most of the blame and the lowest person in the room receive most of the kudos. 100%. Yep. Yeah. Even also, for failures, even for also, failures, 50% of that, that failure was good decision-making. Yep.
1: Also, also, no blame ever goes to anyone but you outside the department. Oh, All yeah. right. So, if you're the CIO and the project's a colossal failure, it is your fault. Right. Outside of the department, no one, like, I, I just don't tell them who, who, who did that thing that brought the thing down. Me. Yeah. You were at the keyboard? No. But I made the decision that allowed that to happen. It's on me. Right. If you want to fire someone, you can fire me. I'll take care of whatever needs to happen inside my department. Right. That's not your responsibility. No, I'm not, I'm not throwing anyone under the bus. You don't get you don't get that opportunity. Yep. Then right? I handle it myself inside the department, however I feel it needs to be handled with no bus driving. Right. How do I just all I care about is how do I ensure it doesn't happen twice? Right. You're allowed to make an infinite number of mistakes. You're just not allowed to make the same one twice.
2: Right? <laughs> or at least the exact same time. The exact
1: same one. Right? <laughs> I just want improvement. That's really all I want. That's it. I'm just looking for, OK, cool. We made a mistake. How do we learn from it? How do we move on? And is there something we can do to ensure we don't do it again? Right? Is it as simple as going, hey, we made a huge miss in our process. Didn't actually consider that this thing would come up. And we didn't compensate for it in the process. And so when it failed, it went sideways, right? Um, a really good one. Um, traditionally, when we're doing DevOps, Kubernetes isn't really backed up, right? Like I'm gonna rebuild from code because this infrastructure is code, and so if something fails, I'm just gonna redeploy right because they're stateless applications, right? Cool. We add one stateful application and that whole thing changes.
2: Right now, the system is stateful, not just the service is stateful. Now, now I didn't
1: include disaster recovery in that. Right, right. And so my logging on transactions is gone because I just redeployed, like no big right. deal, right? Or my time sync data is off, or my insert whatever, right? Okay, we we there's no no doubt about it. We fucked it up. Right. Right. I did. I didn't ask the question either. Right. I didn't think about it either. And I'm the one in charge. So I made the mistake. Now let's work through. Okay, cool. What do we do to ensure this doesn't happen? And, and this only, I didn't actually do this. This comes up because it's actually been a big conversation in the industry. Our Kubernetes is, is moving more and more into stateful applications, and the, the Quantity of questions that you have to ask now in your Kubernetes deployment goes from a relatively simple list to an oh my god complicated list just by making the one change from stateful or from stateless to stateful, and ultimately it falls on me.
2: So if we've obliterated the first half of the statement, that is in fact not possible to make <laughs> to make every decision a positive. So, you can't make uh, the correct decision every time. Um, Is it possible to fail even if you did? If, in fact, it was possible and we lived in a different world, we lived in Disney World, right? And we made every decision correctly, could you still, in fact, fail? Absolutely. Because there are outside influences like the economy, like a pandemic, like geopolitical impacts like the state of the rest of the business within the company itself. Absolutely. Hey, if the
1: market moves on you, you can make every decision possible and the business can still be bankrupt. Right. Because right, you, you didn't adapt to market changes, right? Um, I mean, look at home builders in 2008, but uh, actually let's take a step, let's abstract it. It's RV builders in 2008, in 2007, They had one of their best years ever. 2006, a best year. 2005, a best year. 2008 rolls around, the housing market crashes, and many of the RV builders that had their banner year declared bankruptcy within either 2008 or 2009. By 2010, the consolidation had occurred, and there's now like four RV makers.
2: right?
1: Right now, it's happening again with van builders. Right where they where they 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 take a like Sprinter van and convert it. Um, and we're gonna end up seeing the same thing again, right? But ultimately the RV builders didn't control the housing market in 2008. They didn't control the financial market in 2008. They weren't necessarily, although they were probably involved in it, the ones making the bad loans in 2008 and yet, failure still occurred, right? right. right. Um, if we reverse the example I gave of the D plus to the, a, to the A minus, right? No, I'm not spending $16 million to enable mobility across the entire organization when less than 5% of people work from home and here's the stats to prove it, it's not a good use of our money. Right. right, you say that in 2019, 2020 rolls around, global pandemic, everybody has to work from home, you went from an A plus to a D minus. There's no way you could have possibly predicted it and you could argue that it was absolutely the right decision at the time based on everything that you knew, and yet still, it was
2: the wrong decision. But it's only the wrong decision a year later. Which allows us to go on this tangent. Now that Google, at least has been reported, uh, wants their people back, right? In fact, they're going to make it an exception that if you were gonna work from home greater than 14 days that you need approval to make that happen. Is work from home remote workforce actually going to have a long tail. If the tech companies want people back in their office, A, why would they want that? Uh, And then B, is that a trend that everybody else will presume to be true? So they want people back at their campus, for sure.
1: I'm curious if they want people back at the offices or not, because those are two very different things. Interesting. Two, that should tell the rest of us double down on work from home. For all of the reasons that we previously said work from home was great. Right. Right. Work from home is great because I no longer have to hire from within 20 minutes, a 20 minute commute to my office. Right. I'm already under such competition for tech from Fang, Right? right? Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, Google. fang i'm under so much competition if fang says hey we want everyone to work from the office you must go into an office they've now restricted their ability to recruit the 20 minutes from the office that they'll let that person work from right Right. fantastic that means i now have something i can offer that they cannot
2: (laughs) right we now become
1: more competitive because of it and I've all of a sudden, overnight, a lights light have gone off and I am now
2: competitive again, where I haven't been in a decade. So do do we think the reason why they have this perspective is simply based on the investment of the campuses that they've created? Uh, I think there's two reasons. Like if we're
1: being honest, we're social animals who need to socialize and and there's a lot of stuff that's easier when we're in the office right? Um. You and I have chatted about it before. We've talked about it in this podcast. The number of things that have become video meetings is out of control. We're exhausting people, right. right? We're burning them out just in this, just in what we are actually doing right now. Right. Because what was a casual conversation that took three minutes when somebody walked by somebody else's desk is now a 30-minute block of time. Right. There's not enough 30 minute blocks of time. And what ends up happening? You end up pushing off the work product that you need to be able to get done because someone scheduled that time for a team right. or a Zoom meeting. Right? And so saying, hey, you know what? We're just going back to the office is one way to combat that. But the reality is it's a dumb way to combat that because you could also say, I want these blocks available and and I don't care. You could you could say I want um, nine a.m. to eleven a.m. Central Standard Time available, and one p.m. to three p.m. Central Standard Time available, and everybody's calendar, right? And, uh, two two to four, fine. What you know, whatever you need to do to, to make it logical, right? And right. nothing can be scheduled outside of those times. And if it's outside of your working hours, I don't expect you to show up. Right. It it really could kind of be that easy to solve. And that's it. You get no, there's no more meeting time. There's none. You don't get any. Right? Because the rest of the time I actually expect my people to, to output
2: some work yeah. that can be measured, and I can't measure it by looking at you on a zoom call. Pen to paper, fingers to keyboard. That that work right. has to get done too. Right. And and it would it actually could just be that simple, but
1: I haven't heard of anyone developing a policy like that. I haven't heard of anyone rolling out a policy like that. And I kind of am
2: confused why. It just seems so simple. So that was the first one. What was what was the other reasons you were saying to me? Um, the other reason is, yeah, we've paid
1: for a campus. And I, mean, I have you know half a billion dollars invested in Google campus. And Apple has the same. And Amazon has the same. And they're ghost towns of spectacular engineering Right. Architecture that are empty that's somebody right. has to slide on my slide damn it that's right <laughs> right and the mother just open them off. up for tours right and i think that's actually part of the reason and I, and I don't think it's an illegitimate reason right you bought the land you invested in the property what are you going to do with it right uh, I personally i'd convert it to residential but but that's just me i mean seriously that's that's uh, that if I was in commercial buildings right now, I'd be looking at how do I convert these into flex space so I can actually install residential on every other floor? Like what can I do to, to, to essentially encourage people to work from home? Like, hey, if I had a commercial building right now and you were already living in a high density area in an apartment and I was able to say every other floor is flex office, so you can work from home from an office space we give you like we work. Right. you don't have to worry about paying for that as part of your house you don't you know the traffic we're just going to give you a little flex we work office as part of your rental That seems like that would be appealing they're also right.
2: they're also set up for like the perfect university or college yeah. yeah but they could they could create their own and start you know the whole process of earning income being an educational institution
0: Well, Carlos, I think we've exhausted this topic. <laughs> <laughs> What's an interesting discussion to try to see, because a lot of times we know that as technology professionals, we're looking for that perfection. We think that if we make a mistake, it's a bad thing and you're gonna get smacked. Um, but like you described, when you are working on it, you can make the best decision with the information that you have. And if something just, change after you make your decision, you could not foresee that. So it was an interesting topic. And as always, my friends, make sure that you subscribe to our podcast and I read the podcast and share with your team. Because as we sit down in here, I'm learning, applying, and then so we can be the leaders we can be. My friends, we'll see you in our next episode.